again from my um, study at Blaney Baptist Church, and I'm so glad that you are taking the time out of your schedule uh, to spend some time with us, with me, uh, in God's Word in our Ten Commandments series. So this is our fourth week looking at ten, the Ten Commandments, and we're looking at probably six more um, as we continue to just work through the Ten Commandments one at a time, and to spend, spend some time um, thinking through what God's law says to us and how uh, it instructs us both to Jesus and also instructs us how to follow Jesus. Uh, so in Exodus, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and this is the third commandment. This is Exodus 20, verse 7. So hear the word of the Lord as I read it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and for your word. Would your spirit help us as we come to your word that we might hear your voice and hearing your voice, we would have grace to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Holy Week. Um, this is the Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, I hope you have plans to worship in person if you're able uh, to worship in person on Sunday, whether it's with us at Blaney Baptist Church or at another Bible-believing gospel preaching church, uh, then I would encourage you, please be in worship, and don't let Easter Sunday be the only Sunday that you're in worship. It is the Lord's Day, and every Sunday is a resurrection day. It's a day for us to gather as God's people to proclaim the goodness of the Lord and to see what he will do amongst us. Uh, I've read a familiar, uh, probably a familiar, uh, thir the third commandment being one that is that we throw around, and, and I kind of want to address it um, in a, what one of my seminary professors said, doing some corrective surgery, and then ultimately, uh, we'll do some corrective surgery, uh, show us how it's about worship, and then thirdly, how it points us and teaches us about Jesus. So that's the rough outline, um, if you're following along, uh, that when we think about the third commandment, we almost exclusively, if you were ever said, don't take the Lord's name in vain, where you heard that, uh, we automatically think about our speech. We think about how we use the name of the Lord, how we say the word God, or how we say Jesus Christ, or how we use talk about the Holy Spirit, maybe, uh, or the Lord. Or maybe you grew up in a household where uh, words like golly and gosh and geez, uh, all words that, you know, kind of sound like are connected to, uh, the name of the Lord or God's name or or some title of the Lord uh, and and those things were forbidden and as a, an expression or in in trying to a, attempt to obey this command and that's not wrong I'm not saying that that's wrong but I'm saying that that's not enough that that's actually just a subset of what this commandment's talking about that the third commandment is not primarily about our language or our speech our language and our speech, are connected to it, are under the umbrella of it, uh, but ultimately taking the name, the, the name, Lord's name in vain, is an all of life issue, uh, and I'm going to explain what that means. That the, the all of life, all of life, especially for a Christian, but for any person, um, that all of life falls under this commandment, because when God creates a people, He puts His name on them. He places his name, that not only does he place his name, but then in scripture, God has revealed his name, 
that he's told us that his name is the Lord, which is a Hebrew, uh, which is a translation of the Hebrew uh, name of God, which is some, sometimes said Yahweh, um, which we think is how you might pronounce it. We're not sure. Uh, because in the Hebrew Bible, the, the name of God never has the vowels attached to it, or it doesn't have the vowels attached to it. And so we kind of guess as to how we ought to pronounce it. But also, uh, the, the Jewish people, both in Jesus' day and also up into modern day, they so revered the name of God, they so revere God, and they so have such respect for God and such respect for this particular commandment, that they would, as they read the Bible, and they were reading the Bible out loud, they would never articulate, they would never say uh, the name of the Lord. And so for me, when I was in Hebrew class in, uh, in seminary, we actually had to, as we read it, um, reading Hebrew, and we would come to God's name in the Hebrew Bible, uh, our instructor, my professor, instructed us to replace it with the name Adonai. Uh, because they so because we wanted to respect and revere and not infringe upon this commandment. So speech is a part of it. But when God creates a people, uh, and this is true for all of creation, he places his name on it. Uh, that creation declares the glory of the Lord. Uh, so that creation articulates God. We are, are articulates God. That's, that's loose language. Uh, creation has a has revealing properties about God because God is the author of all creation. But also with His particular covenant people, beginning with Israel and then later with the church, He places His name on them. So uh, God is the one who it, He is not named, but He reveals Him. His name, he, meaning when I say he's not named, he is not given a name from humanity. We don't have the the right to name him whatever we wish. We accept his name as given, but then he turns around and makes a people for his own name, for his own glory, and he does so by putting his name on on them. What does that mean? Well, I want to take you through uh, maybe this might be a little survey of scriptures. So if you're following along and you want to take notes or later on, if you have, hey, Jacob, what were those? Just reach out to me and I'll, I'll shoot you a message or an email. But the first one is famous. This is called the Aaronic Blessing. Uh, this is what the Aaron and his sons, the priests, were to bless the people in this way. And they bless the people in this way by speaking over them the name of the Lord. And it was a it was an emblem or a picture of God's name being on the people because they were his people and he was their God. This is evidence of the covenant agreement, the covenant that God had freely entered into with him and his people, that they would be called by his name, that they would be delineated and distinguished from the nations around by his name. So this is Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Those are all the name. That's the name of God. And saying he, they're putting the name of the Lord on the people. Uh, Deuteronomy 28.10. I can't spend too much time on any of these, but uh, Deuteronomy 28.10. Uh, 28 is the blessings, begins with the blessings of obedience uh, to the covenant. And then the end of the chapter 
is the curses or the curses for disobedience. But in this early chapter, I'll begin at verse 9 and read 9 and 10. The Lord will establish you, Israel, as a people holy to himself. So uh, holy to himself, distinguished from, from other nations for himself. Uh, to be in a unique relationship with him. As he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, all the people and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. So the distinguishing marker between Israel and the nations is not necessarily ethnicity, but the distinguishing marker is the name of the Lord. What distinguished God's people from the nations is the name of God. What makes them holy is the name of God. But notice there's a hint there as to where I'm going. That they were to live out this holiness, this distinction by obedience. That they lived out this distinction by being obedient to God's covenant. Verse 9. So God places his name on his people. Second Chronicles 7.14, this is going to be a really familiar one. Um, and you know, if you have been around evangelical culture for five minutes, uh, especially uh, maybe July 4th, or Memorial Day, or um, presidential election or something, you've heard this verse. Uh, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice, the, that it is my people who are called by my, my name, that there is a, um, a what's called apposition, that these are, these are talking about the same group of people. My people are those called by my name. Uh, that is those who are delineated, distinguished from all others by having the name of the Lord, that they are part of the covenant people of God. So as maybe as an aside, I don't want to take a lot of time here we need to be really careful about applying this verse second chronicles seven fourteen, purely and totally to america because america is not comprised of people who are who god would say these are my people called by my name uh, just because it talks about healing their land uh, this is a promise for the people of israel um, and so the people who are called by his name who are his people um, more specifically would be those who are now in jesus um, so anyways, we need to be careful how we treat scripture. So this isn't a promise for America. This might be a promise by extension through Jesus, a promise for the church. So Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14, but there are people called by my name, God says, that, that what is the calling, distinguishing mechanism in their lives is his name. And his name describes um, describes his character, describes his action, describes his persons father son holy spirit that this is uh it describes god himself so that the psalmist and i'm not going to take you through all these places but that the psalmist talks about um lifting our souls up to the name and de declaring the name worshiping the name that the, it becomes to represent god himself so the name is oftentimes connected to god himself and not distinguished from god himself um, here's a new testament example of um, god placing his name on his people and this is in Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 6. And I'm trying to move. I know I'm moving maybe kind of quickly. And I'm, because I, I, this is just a first point, And we have a couple places to go yet. So uh, Revelation 13 is talking about the first beast and these visions. And um, uh, anyways, 
we're not going to, it's not really about the message of Revelation. It's about what is revealed in Revelation 13:6 about the nature of God's people. Um, verse 6, it opened, it, it being this beast, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling or his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. So that those who dwell in heaven are are the tabernacle of God. And those who dwell in heaven are those who bear his name. So there is a, God places his name on his people. And so if God places his name on his people, then not taking the name of the Lord or bearing the name of the Lord in vain um, means more than our speech. It means our very lives. Because all of our life, the Lord is our banner, Scripture says. And so if the Lord is the banner over our lives, then he's the banner over our speech, but he's also the banner over our thoughts and our uh, actions and uh, the things that we do and the things that we don't do. The way He is the banner over our marriages and the banner over our uh, sexuality and our banner over our parenting and our banner over our work. That, that all of this is for the person who is called out by the name of the Lord, Specifically for the Christian, this means that you are God's, that you belong to him. And so that when you bear the name of the Lord, to bear it in vain, it means one, that you lift up your life to worthless things. Um, Psalm, I don't have it marked, but Psalm 24, uh, I want to just make this connection because um, John Frame pointed, I read this, he pointed it out. This is Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Uh, that, in verse 4, the verb... Uh, of who does not lift up his soul to that which is false is the same verb that's at play in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 that I read uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain that we take the name of the Lord uh, lift up it's the same verb at work here and so uh, there's a there's a thread of um, scholars who who think think that Psalm 24 is an allusion back to the third commandment so that gives light that Taking the name of the Lord in vain means that we're lifting up our soul to that which is false. We're lifting up our soul to that which is vain. So it is a, um, a, um, a, a prohibition against idolatry, but it is also a all-of-life prohibition on wasting your life. That the third commandment tells us to live all of life for the glory of God, and if you live, if you don't live all of life for the glory of God, you have the potential of wasting that which God has given, and wasting, if you will, uh, wasting the declaration of His name over you. That all of life bears the name of the Lord, and therefore all of life, from the ordinary, mundane to the uh, wonderful, miraculous, if you see it. All of it should be lived under the name of the Lord for his glory, for the Lord has put his name on you, that you are marked out by the name of the Lord. So our speech is involved, 
but that you you can bear the name of the Lord in vain, take the name of the Lord in vain, by living a life claiming the name of Jesus while uh, not acknowledging him in your life. So that if you were to live a life of of constant gossiping and co constant strife and unforgiveness and resentment and anger and bitterness and lust. And all of these things are bearing the name of the Lord in vain. And so there's a sense in which, at least an angle at which, every sin, even for the non-Christian, but every sin for the Christian, is a bearing of the name of the Lord in vain. It's a sin for the non-Christian because you're made by God in the image of God and God has still placed his name on you under, under a different covenant. That's another, another conversation. But that you're in Adam and you, you are part of this world. Uh, therefore, you're accountable for all of your life because all that you have has come from God. And to use it in a way that dishonors him is to take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. So the Lord has placed his banner over you, uh, and it is uh, for all of life. Secondly, this really the what's called the first table of the Ten Commandments is about worship. Um, Jesus, again, sums it up as, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, that it's about worship. So that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, this idea of vanity and meaninglessness. Uh, meaninglessness in our worship. When we are intentionally gathering for worship of the true and living God. If we engage in vanity, in meaninglessness, in flippancy of not taking the things of God seriously... It doesn't mean that our worship services have to be somber and solemn all the time, but they should be sometimes. And that we should be careful about what we introduce into worship of the true and living God. For our God is a consuming fire. It is not a light thing. It is a joyful, wonderful thing to worship God, but it is not a light thing. And to take the name of the Lord your God in vain uh, means that you speak flippantly about God in worship. It means that you address Him flippantly in prayer. It means that you don't uh, read His word with the gravity that this is God speaking. That you don't preach God's word rather than uh, seek to administer some sort of pulpit therapy. Now, it is therapeutic, but there is a proclamation of God's word. So I think as the second commandment uh, gave us regulation about worship, uh, the third commandment really gives us an attitude of worship, that reverence is not outmoded. Reverence is not archaic. Reverence should be at the very center of our worship because we are instructed to fear the Lord, to have a holy reverence for God. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It is not a light thing to speak or to live flippantly towards God. Thirdly, um, this, 
as all of the commandments point to Jesus. Uh, and maybe in one of these future um, series um, teachings, uh, I'll talk about, we've talked about the threefold division of the law, moral, ceremonial, civil, or judicial. Uh, uh, at some point, I'll talk about the three threefold use of the law, and that would maybe give some light as to how we're using Scripture. But uh, Paul talks about in Romans, excuse me, Galatians chapter three, that the uh, that the law is a tutor or a guardian leading us to Jesus. Uh, so that hopefully one of the things that happens as we go through these isn't just that, hey, you need to be a better moral person, but we begin to see that God's standards expressed in the moral law revealed in the, the Ten Commandments are something that we cannot, have not, cannot live up to all the time. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek obedience in Jesus' name as grace allows or enables allows isn't the word, enables, gives us strength. But it also should serve to point us to say, our, here's our need for a Savior. And holy, this is something we need to be reminded of this week. How often have we taken the name of the Lord in vain, that we have borne the name of Jesus on us and lived in a way that does not bring him honor? Goodness gracious fill in the blanks and right? it, it that list grows and so does our condemnation and yet we have in Christ a substitute who is born that the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name of the Lord in vain that got the the fury of God is against those against us for taking the name of the Lord in vain and yet scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that in Christ we have the one who has, who has borne our guilt. He has carried our guilt while we carry his name. He has carried our guilt and he took it to Golgotha's cross. And he left it in the tomb on Saturday and he rose victorious on Sunday. So we have much to be thankful for. But that what the, the first three commandments of the law teach us is that Jesus is, one, in fulfillment of the first commandment. He is the true object of our worship. In fulfillment of the second commandment, he is the true image of God. And in fulfillment of this commandment, he is the name of God above all. Uh, that in Jesus, God has given to Jesus the name that is above every name. Remember Philippians 2? Gave him the God, the Father gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's given the name, so that we've seen that this song, this commandment, uh, is about all of life. It is very specific in its application to worship. And it points us to Jesus and it shows us it shows us that to worship the true and living God now means that we must lift up the name of Jesus. To do otherwise is to bear the name of the Lord in vain. I pray that these are helpful to you and encouraging. Um, and I pray that Jesus is honored, consecrated in our hearts as Lord. So that we, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, can begin to shape our lives to live in accordance to what he reveals in his word. May God's blessings be poured out on you and may you revere and treasure Christ this holy week and this Easter and in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
Would you give us grace? Would you, would you um, convict us where we have carried your name in vain, lift up, lifting up our souls to that which is worthless? Where we have had an, a flippant or nonchalant attitude in worship? Where we have brought things into worship that decrease reverence and increase entertainment or some other fleshly service? And in that conviction, would we find not condemnation, but would we find the path that leads us to forgiveness through the blood of Christ? And would you restore to our hearts the fear of the Lord, reverence for you, a weightiness of the subject matter of God? We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who has been given the name that is above every name. And would we this day bend our hearts and yield our lives to him as Lord. Now, for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Grace and peace.